Very good morning, family. Morning. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The scripture passage for our sermon today is taken from Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 to 32. Uh, let me read it to us. This should be up on the screen as well. And so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. <coughs> when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? And Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spent. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us today. How your preacher behind the cross, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, and more importantly, the action of our lives be a pleasing sacrifice to you. Our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Surprise! We are going to begin our sermon today with a short Bible quiz. But don't worry, there is only one question for now. Alright, and it's MCQ. So, what does the name of Jacob mean? What is the meaning of Jacob's uh, name? If you get it correct, you are free to uh, choose one of these boxes behind me as your prize. Uh, for those at the hub, uh, sorry, <laughs> no, I'm just joking, there's no prize here, but it's still a, a Bible quiz. So what does the name of Jacob mean? I'll give you three options. Uh, is it, does it mean Israel? Does it mean Hugh Grabber? Or does it mean Deceiver? Right, give you some moments to think about it. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot see the responses at, at the hub. But those of you here in the sanctuary, if you think it's option number one, can you raise your hands? You think his name is Israel? Nobody. Oh, a few. Okay. Uh, how about the second option? Hugh Grabber. Oh, a lot more here. And the third option, Deceiver. Okay. Guess what? The majority... What's the, what's the rest of you? The majority quiet, right? Uh, why is the AM, the majority, didn't put their hands, you know why? They said all three. Oh, actually wrong. Okay, the answer will be revealed in a short while. Okay, um, you know most parents nowadays, we have a list of possible names for our uh, yet-to-be-born children, right? So maybe if you have a boy, expecting a boy, you have a list of names. If you're expecting a girl, you have a list of names. But not in those days. Babies were named basically on the spot. And Esau was named as Esau because he was red and hairy. So in Hebrew, they sound similar, this sounding. All right. So he was named Esau because they came, he came out and they, oh, wow, red and hairy. Your name is Esau. And so Jacob was born. He emerged from his mother's womb, grabbing the heel of his elder brother Esau. And so the majority of you who raised your hands just now are correct. His name means literally heel grabber. All right. So his name means heel grabber. Uh, so that's how he got his name. Have you ever thought about Jacob's personality, even as a baby? I mean, for a baby to grab onto his brother's heel. What are some possible conclusions we can make about this little baby? 
maybe option number one, Jacob loves his brother a lot. And therefore, literally, cannot let go of him. <laughs> maybe very quiet, you know, very quiet, he wants to be close to his brother. <clears throat> maybe in option number two, Jacob is very timid by nature. And so, uh, very kiasi uh, in the Singaporean terms. So he needs a grip in life, literally, he needs a grip in life. Kiasi, scared of dying. Or option number three, Jacob is very competitive and literally wants to grab hold of life and get ahead of his brother. Or we can call him very kiasu. Well, the answer is uh, found in Genesis chapter 25, not in our passage for today, but in Genesis chapter 25. The two babies were, were battling each other within the mother's womb, so much so that uh, Rebecca, the mother, went to consult God. Hey, what is happening within me? Why are these two, you know what's happening inside? Why is there so much commotion and action going on in my belly? Uh, by the way, some of you, if you are pregnant and you have a lot of action going on in your bellies, maybe you're having twins. <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. So anyway, my wife had uh, very, uh, two very tough pregnancies, so I want to honor and uh, all of you moms out there, it's really not easy, uh, you know, carrying your babies to, and giving birth to them. In my mind, women are clearly the stronger gender. Okay, guys? Because women are not able, are more able to handle the pain and discomfort. A lot stronger than us guys, okay? That's my view. Women are definitely the stronger gender. After all, they are the, the improvement from the prototype, right? Okay, never mind. So anyway, uh, some Bible translators obviously think that uh, uh, Jacob is uh, very kiasu. Hence, they have translated his name as supplanter. Uh, the King James Version uses supplanter as the name of Jacob. Uh, it, it basically means uh, to trip up or to overthrow. A supplanter, therefore, is someone who takes or attempts to take the rightful place of another. And so in Jacob's case, we see in Genesis chapter 25 and 27, he twice deprived his brother of his rights as a firstborn son. And so really, Jacob is a very kiasu character. Even from birth, he wants to get ahead of his brother. And that's why they were battling in the womb. Right from the very beginning, he wanted to get ahead of his brother in life. You know, Jacob is one of those biblical figures that one will find really hard to, to respect. And we want to consider his life in summary. And here I want to acknowledge a source, a sermon I found online called uh, The Birth of a Hugh Grabber for this list of uh, summary statements on Jacob's life. Jacob is born clutching his brother's heel. He cheats his brother out of his birthright. He deceives his father in order to obtain the blessing. He spends 20 years in Haran where his uncle... Laban cheats him and he cheats his uncle Laban in return. He tries to bargain and impress his way back into Esau's good graces. His children are involved in rape and murder. His older son sleeps with his maidservant Bilhah. His favorite son Joseph is mistreated by his brother's other sons and thrown into the pit and sold off eventually. His heart is broken by sorrow. In his youth, Jacob was a schemer. In his middle years, he was a hiding to Laban. In his old age, he was depressed and discouraged because he lost his favorite son for many years in his life. And finally, he died in Egypt, not in the promised land. And so if you look at his story from, from that perspective, it will appear that Jacob's life is a failure, a complete failure. But it wasn't. Surprisingly, it is not Esau's name, but it is Jacob's name that is found in the famous chapter called, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 called the Hall of Fame, or the Hall of Faith, rather. Hall of Faith. We don't find Esau's name there, but we find Jacob's name. And my friends, that really is a message of God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. 
You know, Jacob is one of the so-called most uh, human characters of all the Bible. As we trace his life, we will discover that he had many defeats, as many defeats or even more than his victories. Unlike some other Bible characters who seem to march from victory to victory, are very godly throughout their lives, Jacob is nothing like that at all. His life is a struggle from the very beginning. From the very moment he's born, he's grabbing his brother's heel, trying to get ahead. And he dies trying to settle old scores within his children, among his children. In between, he knows more than his fair share of sorrow and heart, heartache. He's cheated, he deceives other people, he's made angry, he's saddened, he's shocked. A whole range of negative emotions. In short, here is a man who lives life the way most of us do. Two steps forward, one step back. You think you have made advancement only to realize actually you have regressed. Two steps forward, one step back. That's the kind of life that most of us live, right? And that's Jacob's life as well. You know, when God wanted to identify himself to his people, he introduced himself to Moses. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That's how God introduced himself when he first appeared to Moses to bring deliverance to his, to his people. He said, I am the God of Isaac, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's a very interesting introduction. I went to do a bit of study on this. So most of the time, God will introduce himself as God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They always come together in this kind of triplet. So I went to Google, uh, I went to find out for myself. You know, the phrase God of Abraham, just by itself, only appear, appears once in the entire Old Testament, the whole Bible in fact. Only once in Psalm 47 verse 9. God of Abraham, used only once. Most of the time they come together. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But if just God of Abraham, mentioned only once. God of Isaac, never. Never used on its own. Whereas, interestingly, God of Jacob, just this phrase, God of Jacob is used 12 times in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms. Isn't it interesting? God could have identified himself as God of Abraham, alone. Or God of Isaac, alone, right? But instead, most of the time, he's known as the God of Jacob. In my mind, the God of Abraham points to a God of faith. A God of of faith, or literally the God of nations, because Abraham is the father of nations. He's the father of faith. Is it up on the slide? The God of Isaac, in my mind, points to the God of miracles. Because as you know, Isaac is a miracle child. His parents were 90 and 100 years old uh, when he was born. So really, it's a miracle that they even had this boy called Isaac. In fact, Abraham had so much faith that he believed God could even resurrect Isaac if he was sacrificed. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Abraham was such a man of faith, he believed that Isaac could be resurrected even if he had sacrificed him on the altar. And that's why I see God of Abraham points to a God of, of, of faith, whereas the God of uh, Isaac may point to a God of miracles. But interestingly, God is often called the God of Jacob. And I believe it's because he points to a God of grace. Say with me, a God of grace. A God of great grace. You see, uh, I'm so glad that God is not just the God of Abraham, the man of faith. He's not just the God of miracles or God of Isaac, but he's known also as the God of Jacob. He doesn't just run with the winners, the godly people, no. He is also the God of those who struggle and scrape their way through life. Maybe very difficult, making barely making it, sometimes hanging on for dear life. And that's the kind of God we have. The God of Jacob. He's not just the God of faith or the God of miracles, but the God of great grace. By the way, it's an important side point. When the Bible says, 
Esau I have rejected and Jacob I have chosen, it is not about unconditional election as the Calvinists understand it. The phrase, Jacob I have loved, is a powerful reminder to the Israelites that Jacob was chosen, so-called chosen, by God's grace. It's simply by God's grace. You see, Jacob, <coughs> compared to Esau, was far less deserving of God's grace. As we have seen, he's a schemer, he's a cheat, he's a deceiver, he's greedy for gain. He wants to get ahead of his life, he's only thinking about himself, he does everything by human effort. Yet, Jacob was so-called chosen by God, I believe, precisely to demonstrate how wonderful and amazing God's grace is. Not because uh, uh, of unconditional election. Yes, Esau was foolish to reject spiritual things, placing worldly needs above spiritual treasures. That's why he was willing to give up his birthrights for a bowl of lentils. So he was quite foolish in some sense. But Jacob really was no better. In fact, a lot worse. A grabber and a deceiver. The truth is that both Esau and Jacob needed God's grace. Both. The main reason I believe why Jacob was chosen was precisely to demonstrate how amazing God's grace can be to someone like Jacob. He was grabbing and grabbing and grabbing all his life. But somehow at the end of the day, it is God's grace that grabbed hold of Jacob. When Apostle Paul quoted Malachi, chapter 1 verses 2 to 3, Romans chapter 9 to 11, he wrote essentially to tell the Jews this message. And I paraphrase, it's a long chapter. But essentially, I think this is what he was telling the Jews. Hey Jews, please do not think that you are saved simply because you are so-called the chosen people of God. And that the Gentiles whom you want to associate are undeserving of God's grace. Please do not ever think like that. Because if you recall the story of Jacob, if you know his entire life, how terrible a sinner and how terribly undeserving Jacob was, you will understand that your forefather was chosen simply by grace. That salvation is by grace back then for Jacob. It is salvation by grace for you Jews. And it will also be salvation by grace for the Gentiles. If it was by human standards and human effort, really we would have chosen Esau because he's the firstborn. And he was willing to forgive his brother Jacob at the end. So it shows actually he's a big-hearted guy, maybe emotional, but a lot more uh, big-hearted than Jacob. But because of God's grace, because God is a God of grace, giving grace to some of the most undeserving people, Paul was reminding the Jews, I have chosen Jacob and I have chosen you, a small nation. Not because you are superior, but because of my grace. And so to those of you who are inclined towards Calvinism in our midst, I want to challenge you to read your Bibles carefully again. If you don't understand what is Calvinism, never mind, don't worry about it. But for those of you who understand, Read your Bibles carefully in Romans 9 to 11 again. It says nothing about individual election. Not nothing about individual. Oh, Anthony is safe. Pastor Colin, you're not safe. No, nothing to do with individual election at all. It is about the election of the Jews versus the inclusion of the Gentiles. Basically, it's the whole world. Because in the Jewish mind, there's only Jews and the Gentiles. So, it's nothing about individual election, but communities, the whole world. Secondly, if you read the context of Malachi 1, where Apostle Paul quoted from, God's election has nothing to do with unconditional election, the way Calvinists understand it. Instead, Malachi 1 is God's loving rebuke and reach out to His chosen people. Listen to what it says in Malachi 1, verse 2. I have always loved you, says the Lord. But the people of God, they retort, Really? How have you loved us, God? How? And the Lord replies, This is how I showed my love to you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau. 
and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. In essence, the book of Malachi, God was reminding his people that he loved Jacob, despite Jacob's many, many shortcomings. And even though Esau was the firstborn whom God ought to favor, God says he chose to prosper Jacob instead of Esau. Furthermore, nowhere in the Genesis accounts do we read that God has actually rejected or so-called hated Malachi. It is only the last prophet Malachi who wrote down, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. The story of Jacob then is not about unconditional election. It is not about unconditional election. The story of Jacob is about a God who does not give up on people. The whole testimony of scripture of Jacob is about a God who does not give up on people, even the worst of us. The story of Jacob is about a God who pursues us even when we don't deserve it. The story of Jacob is about a God of great grace. Repeat after me. God of great grace. He is truly a God of great grace. Do we really know this God to be a God of amazing grace? Not just in our heads, but really in our hearts. Back in my time in the army, there were many people whom I felt were undeserving of the gospel because of the vices they were involved in. Not only were they involved in these vices, they were proud of it and they were showing off of all these vices. And so, uh, back then, I did not fully understand grace. Your pastor was also didn't really understand grace. And so I concluded to myself, these people don't deserve the gospel. I will share the gospel with other people. So there was this particular group of people I did not like very much in the army because I did not fully understand the nature of grace. But among this group, there was one particular individual because of an incident that happened in the basic military uh, training, BMT. Some of the army guys, uh, you saw the video earlier about NS support group, so it's a jargon, BMT. This particular individual did something that really got onto my nerves. We had a, a usual time uh, run event, so we had to run a certain distance by a certain time. And if you fail to complete this event, basically you were confined. Right? You cannot go home for the weekend. So we definitely had to run you know, uh, as best as we can. And so on that occasion, our CSM, another army jargon, company sergeant major, uh, regular in the army, he decided to have so-called mercy on us. He said, okay, don't worry, I'm going to be your pacer. You just need to follow after me and you will be fine. You will definitely meet the timing and you can go home. And so many of us follow his pace. Somewhere near the three-quarter mark, we realized that his pace was too slow. We look at our watches, oh no, we're not going to make it. He's not going to help us, he's going to sabo us. So let's break off from the pack and let's run ahead. And so we tried to run ahead. Unfortunately, it was too little, too late. We failed uh, the time run event. And so the punishment was confinement. Uh, so since we failed, naturally, okay, la, I mean, that's the consequence. You already told us before the race, right? Okay. But this man that I didn't like already, whom I felt was undeserving of the gospel, he also failed the test because he had run behind the CSM all the way. So he obviously, he would have failed the test too, right? But he was very smart, or rather street smart. He came to the CSM and he said, Staff Sergeant, I only follow your pace. How can I also be confined? I mean, I follow your pace. You say follow you, good enough. What? And so, of course, the CSM trying to save his face, right? Says, okay, you will not be confined. The rest of you will be confined. Wow. If I can have some effects. <laughs> I have effects on my face. How can it be? What? What kind of justice is this? This guy worming his way out of trouble and not just once, many times he does things like this. 
And so I felt that this man really did not deserve the gospel. Uh, we had evangelistic outreaches as a cell group back then. We will, I would invite many people, but I would never invite him. So that was my uh, behavior back then. Because he was talking frequently, worming his way out of trouble. I really did not think he deserved the gospel. Fast forward many years. Some time ago, this man gave me a call. I was surprised. He said, Anthony, I'm in trouble. Uh, my life is in trouble. I, I know you are a Christian and a pastor. Can I meet up with you? <laughs> Initially, I was uh, very reluctant because, you know, of all these horrible memories I have in the army. But many years on, uh, I had become more thoroughly acquainted with God's grace and I knew that I had to uh, meet him. This was a God-given opportunity to reach out. And so I met up with him on several occasions. Initially, reluctantly, but as I heard his stories, I began to have a heart of compassion for him, began to pray with him. Uh, of course, it, he still made things difficult at times. He still had many doubts and criticisms against the Christian faith. He said, why your God say this in the Bible? Why like that? Why like that? So I was still really wasn't very sure whether he uh, was really seeking religion because he was in trouble or really seeking God for God's sake. But probably the, the, you know, trying to solve his trouble in life. Uh, fast forward to this year. I went away for or close to a year in the United States. After I returned, he called me again. He said, Anthony, I want to share with you a wonderful piece of news. I have become a Christian. <laughs> I don't know which one was the worst part uh, the, along the journey. Okay, It was all difficult. You know, I was like, what? And my initial reaction really showed the depth of sin in my own heart. I'm so happy when other people <laughs> receive Christ. Why am I not happy that He has come to the Lord? And then I realized that actually I have become like Jonah. You know, Jonah ran away from his mission not because he was afraid of God. Jonah ran away because he knew God to be a God of great grace. And he did not want his enemies to receive that grace of God. You know, so we should stop saying, I'm running away like Jonah because I'm afraid of God or afraid of the task that God has asked me to do. No, it's not of that at all. Jonah ran away because he knew God is a God of amazing grace. And then, it's real, then I realized I had been a Jonah all along. We did this Bible study, you know, some years ago. I was thinking to myself, okay, la, maybe I've got some sin of idolatry in my life. Okay, that's about it through the Bible study. But then in this year, I realized I have truly been a Jonah. I experienced so much of God's grace in my life, but yet I did not want others, really not others, I mean my enemies, to experience the grace of God. Perhaps that describes you today. You are happy for anyone to receive Christ except your enemies. The people whom you dislike in school, in camp, in work, or in your family. Maybe it's time to revisit this notion of grace afresh. Maybe it's time you realize you are as much a sinner as this person whom you dislike. Maybe it's time you realize that God's grace is precisely most needed for some of these people who don't deserve it. It's precisely because they are such terrible people that God's grace will be seen more evidently. Maybe it's time to hear the words of Jesus afresh. I came not for the righteous, but for sinners, to call them to repentance. Those who are well have no need of a doctor. I have come to seek and save the lost. Friends, Christmas is coming. It's always a joyful occasion. Christmas is the greatest demonstration that God is a God of grace, that the Father will send His only Son to redeem a world full of sin and sin, sinners, to redeem a world of people who only know how to grab and grab and grab 
We're so familiar with that, right? In our own lives, in our society, we were just trying to grab and grab and grab. But Christmas is the time that we see a God who not grab, who is not grabbing, but a God who gives, who gives grace. Maybe it's a time for you to consider, prayerfully consider, inviting some of the people who you dislike the most. And invite them to a Christmas service. You never know how God might just reach out to them and surprise you or shock you that God's grace is truly amazing. Our God is a God of great grace. You know, I could have uh, entered the sermon here, but I haven't even uh, touched on the Bible text itself. So to do justice for our scripture text today, to, for today, I just want to highlight five ways Jacob knew he was a broken man and how much God's grace was extended to him in this night of wrestling. First of all, Jacob had to acknowledge his name before God. And his name really is a reminder of his identity. Right? Who he was. He's a heel grabber. A supplanter. And so Jacob had to acknowledge the brokenness in his character. Next slide. Jacob had to acknowledge the brokenness in his character when he acknowledged his name. Secondly, while Jacob acknowledged he had to give his name, he could not get God to reveal his name. He said to God, God, please tell me your name. And God said, no, why should you know my name? That exchange alone, even though it's not uh, physical, it's a verbal exchange, tells you who is really superior, right? Who really won the fight? Jacob had to acknowledge the brokenness of human effort. Third, Jacob had to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. His physical brokenness will be a visible reminder of all the brokenness he carries in his entire life. You know, it's very interesting that Jacob's life begins and ends with a leg. Or to put it across in a pun, Jacob's life begins with a limp, ends with letter B, but ends with a limp P. Ends with a limp grabbing his older brother's leg, ends off with a limp, his own leg. He was born grabbing the, the leg of his brother, but ends, uh, so-called his life with Jacob ends because his name was changed with his own leg. He was born trying to succeed with human effort. But he was so-called reborn, given a new identity, a new destiny, realizing that he can only depend on God forever. The limp really is a reminder that he has to depend on God's grace forever. No longer human effort, but the grace of God. Number four, to, to drive in this point, Jacob realized that he had met God face to face and his life was spent. Perhaps when Jacob wrestled all night, he might have thought to himself, yes, I'm gaining the upper hand here. Yes, I can do this. Perhaps when Jacob asked to be blessed, and he was blessed indeed, in he thought, yes, I have got a blessing. That's what's important, my blessing in life. But when Jacob realized that he had seen God face to face, and God had spared his life, he realized that it is indeed God's grace at work. He thought he had won. But at the end, he realized it is God's grace that his life was spared in the very first place. You see, the very fact that God could break Jacob's hip just by a touch shows you who is really in power, right? He can just break his hip just by touching it. Shows that it is not Jacob who is a good wrestler. No. It is God who allowed Jacob to wrestle with him the entire night to review or to teach or to highlight to Jacob two things. Number one, the limit of human power, human limitations. Number two, to show to Jacob his innate personality or his lifelong habit of wrestling and heel grabbing would not always win the day. Since his time in the womb, Jacob had been wrestling. Jacob wrestled against Esau, his brother, 
eventually wrestled the birthright from him. So he thought, yeah, I can do it again. Jacob wrestled against his uncle Laban, eventually wrestled from him two daughters and all his possessions. And so Jacob probably thought to himself, yes, I can do it again with this man. But now Jacob wrestles against God. But unlike Laban or Esau, this time around, Jacob doesn't win. In the end, it is God wins. It is God who wins. In the end, it is God who mercifully declares, Okay, Jacob, your time of wrestling is over. You have prevailed against God and man. All your life you have been wrestling, heel grabbing. But the season is now over. From now on, you shall be called Israel. Israel. And so Jacob receives a new name. The last person, if you recall in the book of Genesis, who received a new name, uh, a significant new change in name, in the book of Genesis was Jacob's grandfather. Abraham. His name was changed from Abram to Abraham. And now Jacob receives a new name from God himself, Israel. A new name means a new identity, a new destiny. Do you know what Israel means? We started with a Bible quiz, right? Let's end with a Bible quiz here. What does the name of Israel, Israel mean? What does it mean? Give you three options again. See, my MCQ very easy, right? Three options. Don't have those, uh, you know, in the uni, there always three options. Then uh, option one and two are correct. Option two and three are correct. You know, the kind of variations, then very difficult to answer. Then negative marking, wow, some. But mine very simple. Okay, so what does Israel mean? Does it mean uh, let God contend or persevere or prevail? Uh, I mean, in the root word, the Hebrew word, uh, the verb can mean a variant of these three meanings, right? So that's why I put all three words there. Uh, so what does it mean? Like God contends, or he who contends with God, or God contends, God perseveres. In Hebrew, what's the answer? Option one? Anybody? Option two? Okay, more hands are up. And option three? Okay, slightly more hands too. Okay, the answer is, Actually, all three. <laughs> Trick question. Because, uh, I mean, you must know Hebrew to understand. It can mean all three. Uh, but I want to suggest the third way is how we should primarily see uh, this text, the meaning of Israel. Traditionally, uh, most Bible translations go with number two. Israel means the one who contends with God, who prevails against God. Because they cite Jacob. They think that Jacob has prevailed. But if you know the whole story of Jacob's life, you'll realize it is not Jacob who has succeeded. It is God's grace that succeeds. It is God's grace that perseveres. Why? Because Jacob's story really is about a God who does not give up on scoundrels like him. People who are undeserving of the gospel. In the end, the one who wrestles and wins is God's grace. The God who does not give up on sinners like you and me and my friend in the army. Our God is a God of great, persevering grace. And He will wrestle with us until we realize that we cannot do it by ourselves. And it's only by God's grace, whether for salvation or for holiness or for all of our lives, that it's only by God's grace alone that we can do anything. He will wrestle with us until we come to the point when we are broken and we realize that we cannot do it. The wrestling is not because God is weak. 
is because we have refused to see our own brokenness. And so God took that journey with Jacob to show him that. And it's also for us to realize that we need God all the time. So our God is a God of great grace. Repeat after me. God of great grace. But perhaps we really have to recognize, first of all, as Jacob did, that we are broken. We have tried all our lives using human effort and human wisdom. Yes, it does give us a certain amount of success. It gave Jacob a certain amount of success in his life. And probably our self-effort has brought us certain successes in life. But human effort is nothing compared to God. It is nothing compared to God. You see, God is a God of grace. But the prerequisite to receiving that grace is acknowledging, first of all, that we need it. All of us need it, whether we are Esau or Jacob, all of us need God's grace. And that when we become before God, it is our brokenness that we bring before Him. So let us therefore stop grabbing. I'm not talking about Uber and Grab. I'm not advertising for them either way. But stop grabbing symbolically of our own lives. Just grabbing things for ourselves. Like Jacob, trying to get blessings only for himself without realizing that he is part of a bigger picture of God's salvation plan. And so it is with us too. It is not about our own blessings that God is concerned with. Yes, God will surely bless because He is a God of great grace. But God is not concerned only for ourselves, individuals. Yes, He is because He's our Father, but He's concerned about the whole world. And that is His ultimate plan, and we have been invited to participate with Him in it. So let us move away from grabbing, but instead to leaning to depending on God's grace in every area of our lives. Maybe eventually all learn to walk with a limp. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this wonderful story that we find in the Bible of Jacob. We give you thanks that you are not just the God of Abraham, of people of faith. You're not just God of Isaac, where you can do miracles and we know God you can but we give you thanks that God you are God of Jacob and that is the name that is frequently found in the, in the Bible because we are reminded in, in Jacob's story that truly your grace is, that, is the, it is your grace that perseveres that wins the day Lord we thank you for ourselves how you have given us grace in our own lives thus far Father I want to pray right now that you unveil uh, our eyes to see deeper of our own brokenness and how much we need you. Father, I also pray that you help us to open our hearts and dare to invite the people whom we do not like. Even if reluctantly, I pray you help us to, to act on the word today. Maybe send an invite somehow. Invite them to a church. It doesn't have to be our church, but to a church service this Christmas. It could be a church nearest their home. It doesn't matter. We pray that Lord indeed you give us that step of faith to take that action to invite some of the undeserving people in our lives to hear of your good news this Christmas. So we pray all this because it's not for our sake but for the sake of your kingdom and your son in whose name we pray. Amen.